Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand in your life as a young girl made an impact on you? I don't enjoy the brand anymore because I don't let myself. It's Dr. Pepper. This is such a great story. My grandfather was a Dr. Pepper bottler. He was a serial entrepreneur, but one of the things he he did was he had a Dr. Pepper bottling um, plant. And I worked for my grandfather and my grandmother before I was even old enough to to babysit, I think. God love them. Uh, Every afternoon, about two o'clock, we took one of those Dr. Pepper breaks. I still love the taste of it. I can think of it right now. Um, as if they put my pacifier in it when I was little, which they probably did. And the irony is I started my um, advertising career at Tracy Locke in Dallas. And um, Tracy Locke was the advertising agency that coined 10, 2, and 4, um, the original Dr. Pepper slogan. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on this CMO podcast is Cindy Davis, the EVP and chief brand officer of Bed Bath & Beyond, the multi-billion dollar, multi-brand, omni-channel retailer. Brands include Bed Bath & Beyond, Harman, Bye Bye Baby, and Decorist. On top of her CMO role, Cindy is also the president of Decorist, an online interior design service that is a sister company to Bed Bath & Beyond. The Bed Bath & Beyond brand, with about 40,000 associates and 1,000 stores, is a company under massive transition, remodeling half their stores, closing poor performing stores, launching a host of its own brands, plus a newly launched brand campaign. So far, so good. Sales in the recent quarter were strong, and their outlook is optimistic. My guest Cindy is 15 months into her role after a stint as Chief Digital Marketing Officer at L Brands, owner of Victoria's Secret. Cindy has worked at some of the great companies and marketing agencies in the world, including Walmart, Starwood Hotels, Disney, and BBDO. This is my interview with the woman who wants to make it easy for you to feel at home, Cindy Davis. Cindy, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I have been doing, looking at your research, and the most interesting finding that personal happiness is highly correlated with happiness with your home. So I just have to start with this personal question for you, Cindy. Is your happiness and your happiness with your home correlated as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think you know, Jim, that I am lucky to be have been sheltered um, during the pandemic in our home um, in Florida at the beach, and it is my happy place. Um, but regardless where I am, um, we have found I'm like our customers, right? Um, and we absolutely have found through our research that they tell us that their overall happiness is really based on their happiness with their home. Um, and for me, that might be cleaning out 
um, a closet, um, refreshing my bedroom, but mostly it's all of the new gadgets I've added to my kitchen um, throughout the pandemic to, to make my own cappuccinos with a smiley face on them. I mean, it really made me think about the homes we've been in. And is there any non, are there any non-obvious insights behind that about, you know, personal happiness being correlated with happiness in the home? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, there are sort of at least, you know, three or four different ways we've heard people talk about it. Um, one of the things you hear them talking about that doesn't surprise you is it's not the house, right? It's the little things and the moments that happen in the house that make it a home. Those are the things that you remember. I think we all feel that way, right? Um, think back to any house you've lived in, and you probably won't remember the rooms. You'll remember game night, right? with your family, or you'll remember, you know, a cozy um, night in front of the fireplace and what you talked about um, and those moments of connection. I think those are the things that we're finding matter the most to people. Um, and for, for our company, for Bed Bath & Beyond, it's, you know, it's how can we enable those moments? How can we help um, our customers create um, in every one of the rooms in their homes, the environment and the opportunity to have those special moments, those moments of connection that are really, really memorable. Um, we care about safety in our home, of course, and um, um, right after the pandemic started, right, safety was paramount, uh, paramount. We care about being able to provide for our families in our homes. But if you really get down to it, if we really dig underneath, you'll find people talking about the special memories and experiences that happened in those rooms. And we want to be part of that. That's a great purpose, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I want to talk a little bit about your startup over the last 15 months or so. You are astoundingly busy. And I just want to run through a few things. Massive multi-year brand restage, which is underway renovating about half of your stores, launching your own brands at a pace of about once a month, new ad campaign that even made your most recent earnings, you know, call and posting. And you're also the president of a sister company to Bed Bath & Beyond, Decorist, on and on and on. So how, how are you doing all this? And how did you start up so quickly? to tackle all of this. Wow. Um, listening to you rattle. Did I get that off, about right? Yeah. <laughs> I think I should be more tired than I am. Um, I'll start with um, on the how. Um, I have been really fortunate um, to attract some great talent myself and to have some really terrific members of my team, um, people that um, are not afraid of retail because you have to love it. Um, I mean, retail has to be in your blood to be able to, to really move this business forward the way we are. Um, so I have a really great team. Um, I am um, also uh, just amazed at the capacity and the vision um, of our leadership team. Um, I think you know, I mean, um, I started after Mark Tritton, but he'd only been here since November. Um, uh, when I got here and I 
don't think the man sleeps. Um, honestly, I don't know how um, he he does what he does. Um, and I'm really uh, excited about the leadership team that I'm part of. But I think the main thing um, beyond the people is um, is I am motivated by the opportunity. You know, when um, when a when the recruiter reached out to me and um, asked me if I'd be interested in this role. Um, join a company that's in the midst of a massive three-year transformation in the middle of a pandemic, right? You might have thought I would have hesitated, but I didn't really, right? I, I, I wanted to jump right in, not only because of Mark and his CEO role, not only because of the leadership team, but I'm a fan of this brand. Um, I mean, I some of my fondest memories are shopping back to college for my stepdaughter and my son and um, when they were heading off to college. I mean, Bed Bath & Beyond, I mean, it's 50 years old as a brand and we all have those moments, right, that we remember shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond and the opportunity to help modernize this iconic brand. Um, it's what it's what gets me up every morning and keeps me going late into the night. Um just seeing what we're able to do across the stores, across digital with the own brands, which I'm sure we'll talk more about because that's one of my favorite things to talk about is our new own brands. Um, it gives you an it gives you an energy um, that uh, that gives you the the sort of stamina and the capacity to to plug in away every day and making it happen. Cindy, where do you? I know you have a great team. Where do you? Where do you personally focus yourself of all these things that you have going on? So how do you choose to spend your time? If we looked at a pie chart of Cindy's time, where, where are you focusing yourself personally? Yeah, I think the, um, one of the ways we think about the transformation is no surprise across you know, five Ps, right? Product, pricing, promise, place, and people. And I, our team supports all of those pillars of our transformation. I am squarely planted in the promise um, pillar. I really believe that um, it is my primary responsibility um, to deliver on our promise, right? Our purpose to make it easy to feel at home um, for our customers. Um, and you know, Jim, it's been a it has been a common thread throughout my career um, to be focused on championing our customers, um, sort of keeping the customer um, as my compass. And I feel like um, now more than ever, as we come out of, hopefully come out of the, this pandemic, um, helping to the organization stay focused on the needs of our customer has got to be one of my primary goals. I can champion that better than anyone else in the company and it's important to bring that customer um, to the table. I will tell you the other thing that I am focused on and really um, it's one of the reasons I joined the company is thinking about um, the customers we serve across our banners, across Bed Bath, across Baby, across Harmon, and even with our banner Decorist. The, the opportunity to serve those customers across all of their life moments is just huge. Um, but at my level, in my role, I think I have a responsibility to be looking horizontal as well as vertical. Um, and that's the way we want to build the relationships with our customers, right? 
is, you know, back to college might be the first place you find us, right? Um, but we want to be there for, um, for your first apartment, for your, um, for your wedding, for your first child, all the way to, you know, your second home um, and, your, and the grandkids you might bring along. Um, I think for me, um, um, sort of looking across our banners is a really important um, role for me. The last thing I tell you, because you brought up um, decorous, the CMO role and, and, and the decorous role, which I'm so proud to have, um, they might not be as different as you think. One of the things I found day one when I dug into the direct decorous business, our online interior design services, is that um, decorous is really um, a business of its own, but also an enabler for our other banners. Right. One of the first things we did with Decorist was look at how do we use those interior design services to inspire our Bed Bath & Beyond customers, right? to inspire our baby customers. We launched um, a Design Squad um, by Decorist to help new moms and expectant parents design their nursery. So those, those, those businesses right, supporting each other. Last year, when um, unfortunately at Back to College, so many college students found that they weren't going back to school, we asked um, our decorous design services to help us design some college from home inspirational rooms. So um, an incoming freshman who had to study from home for her first year of college, right, could transform her high school bedroom into something that felt more like a grown-up freshman dorm room. Um, and so I think we found, I'm finding the synergies across the banners um, to help us ac accomplish our overall goals as well. What, what do you think is the most important synergy across the ba banners? Is it, is it leveraging your first party data to try to, you know, satisfy the customer even more with your multiple services and banners? Is it, is it back office stuff? Where, where do you see the biggest potential synergy across the banners? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it would be the opportunity we have to understand our customers. And that's one part data, of course, the behavioral data, but also even, even um, feedback from our customers directly um, uh, as well. The, when you think about it, um, there are very few companies who interact with customers at these, we call them magic moments, but at these life moments throughout their lives. And so first understanding what's important to customers in those life moments and how do we help them and help the people that wanna help them, right? Because it's not just the back to college, it's not just the student in back to college, it's the mom, right? Helping send them off. It's not just um, the expectant parents who are um, going to have their first child. It's the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles, right, that are surrounding them in that life moment. So first and foremost, it's the customer understanding and definitely data plays a role. I think the second thing is the, um, the ability to, um, to provide for those customers reasons to engage with us and reasons to share more. Um, and you might have heard in, in our Investor Day presentation that we have, um, we have an existing um, paid loyalty program, but we will be launching and piloting a new, um, broader loyalty program because we believe we have the opportunity to connect each of those moments. 
And then, you know, I'll, um, at the risk of repeating Decorous, which is one of my favorite things, um, we have other services like Decorous that we believe we can leverage and we already are across all of the banners. When the, for example, when the pandemic first hit, the, um, the acceleration we did of our Omni services, so our customers, we could serve our customers however they were comfortable shopping with us, right? We didn't have buy online, pick up in store. We launched it in four months across the network. We had curbside pickup that we launched across the network. And most recently, with the help of our chief digital officer, um, we have launched and expanded same-day delivery. So those are omni services um, that we've brought to bear for the customer that we've been able to leverage across all of the banners. I was looking at Decorist in more depth, of course, before our discussion, and I just encourage our listeners to check it out. I, I, I find you choose your tier of design services you want, from celebrity all the way down to sort of beginner. You, you humanize the designer. You see the person. You see some of their work. You see something about them. I think it's very smart. I think there's lessons in that that others could apply in uh, on a lateral way to their businesses because, you know, I you're offering me something that is a little bit unapproachable for most people. You're giving me the price. You're showing me the person, and you're showing me the kinds of things they do. I think it's really well done. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of the Decorous team and what they've accomplished. And I think you're right. There are lessons there across our business and, and for others as well. Um, what you might not have seen when you when you had a chance to visit it is you can Eve, it starts with a style quiz, right? I mean, one of the first things you hear from our decorous team is most people don't know what their style is, right? And that's the that's the first sort of um, scary part, right, of interior design is not even just knowing your own style. And so helping people figure that out and uncover that is job one. You can even ask a question and get an answer in 24 hours, right? Maybe you know a little bit more about what you want, but you just need help choosing a rug or a wall coloring or how to refresh, right? A room all the way up to what you saw in some of the full on design um, work that the team does. I think the, um, we've tried to take those learnings right into the business overall. Um, obviously I mentioned design squad for nursery design for baby. Um, the thing we just launched this back to college, a 3D college room designer um, on our site, um, Bed Bath, whether you're, whether you're starting in a dorm room or apartment, you can actually create your own room design because it's so important for our younger customers to reflect their personal style in their space. Um, and then you can share that with your family and friends or even your roommate. So um, even though we're miles apart, I can, I can co-design a room with my roommate and put all of those items into my cart, literally completely virtually, um, uh, buy it and have it waiting for me at the store near my campus. So again, the synergies across are really important. I think one of the things that would be interesting for you to know that's true across the entire business, um, not just for, for Decorist is that one of the first things we heard from customers is, yes, they want us to be a destination, both online and in stores, for the home good items they need, but they want more than just items. They want ideas. They want inspiration. And I think that's one of the core things we're bringing to them as a brand. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? 
If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half? Story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. When I asked you a few moments ago where you were focused, the first thing you said was, I'm championing the customer, living our purpose. Do you have any rituals, tips, processes for how you stay close to the customer so that you can champion that customer and understand that customer and help the leadership team, you know, follow what their needs and desires are? That's a great question. I'll, I'll tell you, it starts with, um, with really understanding not all of the customers we serve, but the key customer segments where we need to grow. And I think one of the very first things that our team did when I got here um, was to identify who those, those key customer segments were. We did a ton of work, a ton of research, a ton of analysis, as you would expect, and found those five key segments. Um, it wasn't enough to know who they were and how they were behaving and why they were important to us. The next job is how do I really personalize those five key segments so our entire organization can understand them, right? And cannot tell you the number of times I've worked with um, consulting companies who have helped us do customer segmentation and um, come back with 12 customer segments, um, uh, none of whom anyone could remember. If you went and asked um, any of our merchants or operators today, I think they'd be able to tell you. Our five key customer segments are the Nestor, um, who's one of our older current customer, um, who is, who's been very loyal, tends to shop in store, um, and we need to maintain our business with them. The Minimizer, who's that young college student age and young adult male, um, probably looks a lot like my son, who frankly just wants the shortest distance between him and a coffee maker that works, right, when he needs it to. Um, and those are two, um, the Nestor and the Minimizer are core segments for us today. And we need to maintain our business with them. Our two growth segments are the juggler and the innovator. The juggler is exactly what you would expect. Those parents that are juggling, juggling all of the demands of family and home and work and school um, and have, while they've been during the pandemic, been doing that all under right um, one roof, which has been challenging for them. The innovator um, tends to be male. Um, he is always looking for the greatest new gadget, probably the first to buy um, the, you know, the newest, um, the newest coffee maker, the newest uh, vacuum cleaner, um, the newest uh, beverage maker of any kind and looking for what features make sense. And then our fifth segment, Jim, is the creatives. Um, it is it is the segment we are focused on growing and attracting the most young trend forward shopper um, who, as I mentioned, really cares about re reflecting their personal style and their space. The thing that would probably surprise you is even though those younger creatives are newer and younger in their career, they spend by far the most of 
any of those segments on home goods. It just matters more to them and they make the decisions and they will find something they love and figure out a way to replicate it or duplicate it on their budget. So those five segments are North Stars for us, but the real difference I think we made was representing those segments and explaining those segments in a way that every single person in our company can understand and stay focused on them. I will tell you one other thing for me, and um, this is going to sound really old school. You know, we have volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of data on our customer, both online and in our stores. Um, But the hardest thing for me starting this job was starting it in the midst of the pandemic and not being able to get out into stores and interact with customers, right? I um, I am a data and analytics geek. Um, But at the end of the day, observing customers in real life, right, is where you can fit those things together in a really masterful way. And I'm so glad to be able to be back in the stores now. And where you can get inspiration, right? It just makes you feel better about what you do every day when you're out meeting people who appreciate what you do and have ideas for you and how you could do things better. Totally. So tell me, the segmentation model is, is wonderful. And I had read a bit about it before our interview. For our listeners, could you talk about how you did this model and why it's so important to your brand transformation right now? But a little bit of if you had to write the playbook for someone listening who wants to have a similar consumer segmentation model that helps them meet their growth goals, that galvanizes the organization, that helps them understand people better, you know, what would your playbook be? Yeah, um, in addition to having some really smart people um, analyzing data on the customer side, um, which we do, and we're um, thankful for that, I'll tell you um, three key things. First, um, you you are very well aware um, that there are um, multiple um, ways to segment customers. And even when you've done the analysis, there could be five different models, right, that could get you to your key segments. One of the things we found was really important was to understand the most important variables. And one that surprised me, and I would just encourage um, the folks that are listening to look for that. Um, One of the most important things we found was the degree to which on a continuum, our customers make a purchase decision based on function versus make a purchase decision based on style. It's not about what your style is, right? Your style um, uh, will be very different than mine, Um, but the degree to which you make a purchase decision based on style was one of those key variables. So the first thing I'd say is look for that, look for that truly differentiating variable. You're you're gonna find things that don't surprise you as much, right? You're gonna define things like age, potentially as a defining variable, but look for that higher order variable that is, that is unique and differentiating for your brand. I think the second thing um, I'd say is we felt it was critically important for us to understand our customer and how they engaged in the home goods category, not just how they engaged with us. And um, for us, that's, you know, it's, that's as simple as you know, looking for customer share but I've found that a number of people focus a little bit too much on 
how what those customer segments as they relate to you. I'd start with how they relate to your category and work in, right, to how they relate to you and your brand. That really helped us. And it helped point out the, where we had opportunities as well as we, um, for growth, as well as opportunities to retain our current customers. And then the last thing I mentioned it before, but I don't think it can be understated. Um, no customer segmentation is, um, is going to be actioned or, or valuable if you can't find a way to translate it to the rest of your organization in an easy and memorable and meaningful way. The thing that probably excited me the most after we did our brand champions rallies um, where we launched our um, customer segments was hearing a DMM of one of our merchants or one of our store operators start talking in terms of what they could do to really better serve the juggler. Right, which is that that target audience is one that we really need to engage not just in stores but online. And hearing someone outside of the marketing department, outside of the brand team, talking about and understanding the juggler that well, that they knew how they could do something differently um, to really appeal to that um, to that segment. Um, most important thing, you know, in a small company, right? Um, it may not be as important, but with a company our size. Um, um, with, you know, with stores operating, you know, over a thousand stores and hundreds, tens of thousands of associates, we need our associates to understand, right, who they're serving and why, um, not just at the corporate home office. Is the segmentation model different by store? It, it doesn't much. I will tell you one of the things we've been looking at, we looked at it, you know, we looked at by category, by our destination categories, by um, by by store, by geography, not much. Now, there are a few places where um, we will find stores have a higher concentration of one segment versus the other, but those five segments are pretty true by store in terms of where we have the growth opportunity and where we need to do a good job maintaining those customers. Um, I think that's important. I, as complicated, as complex as this customer segmentation is, if it was also, if it also dramatically varied by stores, I'd be a little worried about our ability to action it and really make it meaningful. Now we're talking segmentation. I now want to roll the conversation into your overall transformation, you know, of the company, which we talked about very much up front. And so far your numbers look promising. And I know you're only about a third of the way through it. And Every marketer in the world, and it's certainly everyone listening, at some point in their career is going to do a major brand transformation. Maybe not on a brand the size of yours, but on a brand of some size. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about your learning, Cindy. You've had a career with a lot of great brands. This is a really big one you're doing right now, this transformation. So what have you learned? What has gone better than expected? maybe not as well as expected. So again, let's use the playbook metaphor. If you were to write a playbook on this one, and I know you're not through it, what would some of the lessons be in that playbook? Where to start? Um, a lot of them. Um, in just the year, you know, a little bit more than a year that I've been here. I first, I mean, think about, I think it, the, the best way to think about it is in sort of the, the key pillars of the transformation. And first, the aggressive, important 
decision and and pillar of you know remodeling 450 stores in three years. I can remember when I was first talking to Mark about joining the company and and he was sharing about the transformational plan and and the plan to remodel. And and frankly, based on some of my past experience, I thought, oh yeah, you're going to remodel a few stores, right? Um, You're going to remodel a few stores. And when when I joined the company and learned that it was going to be 450, I mean, more than half of our sales, you know, I mean, that's a giant undertaking in three years. Um, I think the first, so I think the first real learnings are in the remodeling of the stores. Um, if you've um, been to a Bed Bath and Beyond um, pre-remodel, um, you would you would you would have seen a lot of opportunities with the in-store experience. But we started with the data, um, and the data told us that a pretty significant part of our customers, um, about 36%, were coming into our store. So going through all of the effort to find a bed bath, to park in the parking lot, to come in and leaving without finding what they needed. I mean, you Mm. gotta be guided by that. You've got to be guided by that. And so a big important part of the transformation from a remodel standpoint is, are we creating a store that a store experience that inspires our customers and she can navigate to find what she's looking for. By the way, if she finds what she's looking for sooner, um, she'll browse and discover what's new. So really important, both on the needs and the wants. So we carried that through the remodels. I will tell you that um, I was, I think I was surprised by um, how much opportunity there was within the store experience, just to be more customer centric. The, you know, the overall flow of the store, the layout of the store, um, organizing by rooms, curating the assortment, but then just some of the little things, Jim, that don't seem little anymore, but just, just graphics and signage that made sense to customers. Um, the example I've used in the past is, and I saved it. I actually, um, the team saved me one of our signs that identified the area where you would find those hand towels for your kitchen as the kitchen textile area. It's the farthest thing from customer language. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, it's just such an insider. So really putting ourselves right in the shoes of the customer, super important. I think the second bank learning on the remodels is it's a team sport. Um, our, um, our stores organization, construction, real estate, graphics, signage, even our digital team, right, helping make the store experience more of an omni experience and turning her phone with in-store mode into the remote control to find what she's looking for. Um, wow, what a team sport. Um, and it's it's been it's been really really impressive to see the way the organizations have come together to make this new store experience um, a showcase. So, what were some of the testimonials of people who were coming in? Because store remodeling, I, I told my family I was going to talk to you and that you were remodeling your stores, and they said, "Oh no, I love going in there and exploring and finding the weirdest stuff." So, so I will tell you that's funny. That that is funny. I mean, the good news is um tell your family because we have in-store mode, all they have to do is download the app, 
and they'll be able to find anything that they um, that they're looking for. Um, and it's intuitive. I mean, the the store is organized by rooms, right? Which is how people shop for home goods. Mm-hmm. So um, I think they'll love it. I think that um, one of the biggest wows for um, for customers, other than you know, I mean, just the openness of the store and the ability to find what you're looking for. You know, of course, of course, in the Chelsea store, there's some unique experience. We have you know, a, you know, a, a, a soda stream bar where you can customize your own sparkling water. You know, we have a, we have a Casper store within a store downstairs in the, in the um, bedding area where you can buy. I mean, there's a number of some really special experiences, but I think one of the things that really wowed the customers I talked to most was our new own brands. And you mentioned it earlier. Um, my Goodness, we've been on a on a mission here, right? We've had a new brand launch every month since March, but um, seeing the six um, own brands that we've launched and the moments that we created to bring those um, own brands to life um, from the beginning of the store all the way through the store, with our kitchen brand, um, our table with Wild Sage, our young eclectic brand, and bedding and Haven and Bath and Nestwell and in bedding as well, as well as um, Simply Essential, which is, you know, which is our affordable opening price point brand. I mean, it was, it was really just sort of seeing them go from room to room to room in the store and discover these brand new um, own brands. That was, I think, one of the things that was most exciting for me. I know you'll hate this question. Which one of those own brands is your favorite? Um, they're all unique. <laughs> I love them all, but I love that question because you know it's funny. One of the things we talked about um, in the development of these brands, as well as the launching of the brands, is how do we make sure that we make each one of them their own unique big launch moment? That could be tough, right? I mean, for any of the marketers and and branders on the phone. Um, or on your podcast, you can imagine, right, like six in a row, once a month and two more still to come this year. Um, we worked really hard to make each of them unique. And we started with what about this brand and the role it's going to play in customers' lives um, should we lift up? Um, and so just a couple of highlights. Um, I'm a big fan of our, our table um, kitchen um, line own brand. Um in part, probably because I need the most inspiration um, in the kitchen. Um, but um, one of the things that we found from talking to customers as we were getting ready to launch that brand is a renewed importance about the gathering of family and friends around meal and around food. Um, I think probably because we couldn't do it for so long um, and how people are getting ready to hopefully welcome people back into their homes for the holidays. Um, but we... Um, we wanted to take the inspiration notion um, on our table um, uh, and really bring it to life. We did our first ever um, cooking series, right, um, with uh, with some hometown chefs bringing to life some of the ideas, all the way to um, Wild Sage, which is our young, eclectic, free-spirited brand of um, bedding and bath. Um, that's the one I've talked about is all about inspiration. So for us, we did our first ever dedicated TikTok and Instagram channels. We've never done that for an individual owned brand. And then the last one I point to, each of the brands to me is unique. I won't find a favorite, but I really commend the team 
um, working on these own brand launches to find that unique aspect for each of these brands and bring it to life. Cindy, I'd like you to talk a little bit before we go into the creative brief about purpose. And you rattled off the purpose earlier in this discussion. I've heard you say in other forums that you felt our purpose has been clear, but our positioning has not been. And then you roll these individual brands into that mix. So could you walk us through how you think about the purpose of the company, the promise or the positioning of the company? You know, sort of what is your framework for your brand and how do, do the sub-brands fit into that, if at all? Sure. Absolutely, they must, um, just as a starting point. Um, at the very highest level, um, uh, the, our purpose is to make it easy for customers to feel at home. Um, we don't take that lightly. It's part of the transformational plan, an important part of what we call our strategic, our strategic house um, as our framework. I believe that within that purpose, really um, helping our own associates and our customers understand what it is that our brand stands for and why, and, and why we matter um, as a brand. Um, and that's true, by the way, for each of the key banners, right? We have this overall strategic framework but what Bed Bath stands for and what it needs to stand for and how it differentiates versus its competition, right, is connected to but different from the same for Bye Bye Baby and for Harmon and, of course, for Decorist. We, we tackled Bed Bath, um, Bed Bath and Beyond first as, as the sort of mothership um, and core brand. I think really important for us. We learned a lot about our customers as we've discussed that we need to stand for inspiration, not just items, um, that we really need to be focused on what it is that creates a happier home and how we can help our customers achieve that. I think the team has really took on the challenge of how do we create for each of these banners within right? Make it easy to feel at home as an overall um, structure for the strategic framework. What do each of these brands uniquely stand for? The own brands question is a really interesting one within that, right? Um, it's one we've been so careful about um, the development of these own brands and the positioning of them and how each one of them we think of as a proof point, right? Why should you believe right, that we're committed to make it easier um, to feel at home. Why should you believe that Bed Bath & Beyond is a place where we want to be there for every room, every moment, everything you need to home happier? Um, and do each of these new owned brands, right, um, deliver another reason to believe that that's what we're all about and that's we're gonna, what we are delivering. And I think I feel pretty good that they do. Um, and I, and even the way we've launched each of them, um, that's really important because if we'd spent the last six months launching a new own brand every month, and it was somehow disconnected from our overall purpose or our overall positioning, we couldn't be making the strides that we're making. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a well-integrated effort. And I think each of those own brands and the, and the two, you know, um, the two more to come this year will also, um, help customers think of us as a destination for everything they need to home happier. I want to move into the creator brief now where we learn a bit more about you and your view on many things. And the first one is, how are you a different leader now than you were 
15 months ago? In thinking about what's been required to be um, in this role um, at this moment um, in time for the, for the country and for our customers, but also this moment for the three-year transformational plan, I think I've really had to reach in and find um, the skills and sort of muscles that I built um, in influence. I, I'm, I didn't necessarily plan it this way. And some other time we can have a conversation about how I got to this crazy um, career in marketing. But um, having spent time early in my career, starting out on the agency um, side and then um, in marketing roles for franchisee organizations, um, and then, of course, at, you know, at retailers like the scale of Walmart, you have to develop the muscle to bring people along in the journey with you, um, which is one part, the what, right, the vision and the strategy, but also the why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? Um, uh, and how can you carry that, that knowledge of the why into everything you do? Um, I, you know, I, and honestly, um, Coming into Bed Bath and Beyond and knowing what we had against uh, ahead of us, I probably had a lot of things on my mind um, in terms of the skills and experiences I hoped to bring and to be able to contribute. Um, I think those that I've learned in the fifteen months, the most important one is the ability to really um, to really influence the organization and to really bring people along on this journey. Who has been the most influential mentor in your career? I will tell you both the champions and the challengers. I had a, had a mentor who really on in my career said, you do a very good job. You have a lot of champions, Cindy, and you do a very good job leveraging your champions, but you don't have the other side of the equation. You don't have the challengers. You don't have the person that will... Um, that will push you to go to be more, that will challenge you, um, that will really, really push you harder. And I made it a mission to, to have both. And I think I, and, and it's funny, I will, um, as I thought about the opportunity to move to um, Bed Bath & Beyond, I reached out to both um, mentors I've had who are champions, but, but maybe more importantly, the mentors I've had who are challengers. Um, who would really help me think about what was it going to take to be successful in this really important critical role um, for Bed Bath & Beyond. It's not always easy. Um, the more senior you get, um, the harder I find it is to get people um, in those challenger roles, right? And so I end up reaching back um, to folks that um, have mentored me and been more senior to me earlier in my career, but I have to really work hard to ask people to give me the feedback that's going to help me continue to grow. Um, but I think the champions and the challengers, I mean, look, I've been blessed, right? I, you know, was recruited to Walmart by Doug McMillan, incredible leader, um, had the opportunity to work for Brian Cornell um, while I was at Walmart, who of course now is doing amazing things at Target. I'm, I'm blessed. Um, but I, but I really keep it on the forefront that I need to talk to both my champions and my challengers to make sure I'm staying on the right track and pushing myself as hard as I want to push myself to continue to grow. Yeah. For someone to challenge you, and that's so important for all of us, there's gotta be trust, you know, because they won't do it unless you trust them and they trust you. So trust is so foundational to that. 
I think you're right. Trust is foundational. And also I've found that being more proactive um, in, in being really, really specific about what I need, the input that I need, um, it, it matters a lot. Early in my career, I, I, I really felt like I had hit a plateau and wanted to be better um, as a presenter and a communicator. Um, and, you know, you don't, you don't, um, you don't spend a, you know, the first part of your career in advertising without learning how to communicate and persuade, but I wanted to get better. And I had asked a few people who I trust, um, I'd really like to get your input on how I can be a better communicator, how I can be a better presenter. Um, would you please give me some input? And you know what I heard, right? Oh, Cindy, you know, you're really good at that. That's one of your strengths, right? Um, no, you're, you know, you're a good presenter. I'm like, okay, I walked away kind of disappointed because I didn't get what I needed. So I got much more specific about it. I would go to these, um, this handful of people and I'd say, um, you're going to be in a presentation that I'm going to be giving next week. And I'd really like for you while you're here, while you're listening to me, um, think about the three things I could have done better or, or different to be a better communicator. And I got exactly what I needed, but I had to be specific about what I needed and give people permission um, to challenge me and give me that candid feedback. Cindy, that's a good place to stop. This has been an amazing conversation, an inspiring conversation, an educational conversation. And congratulations to you and your team for this incredible journey you're on. And so far, it looks wonderful, and I'll be eager to watch it unfold further. Thank you, Jim. Stay tuned for more. And uh, um, as soon as you can, get to, uh, get to that Chelsea store. I know you're going to love it. I will. I will. New York's on my agenda, and I'll go there. I love new stores. Terrific. And I love your brand. Terrific. Thanks again, Cindy. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with Cindy Davis. Three takeaways from this one to apply to your business and life. First one is how powerful a consumer-oriented segmentation model can be to drive your business and accelerate growth. Cindy talked about how the entire company, including those associates in the store, understand the five segments that Bed Bath & Beyond is trying to appeal to to broaden their business. This was a masterclass in segmentation. Second takeaway, listening to your customer is so fundamental. We hear so many CMOs in this podcast talk about it. Cindy had so many creative ways to be in touch with her customers, to listen to her customers. Your customers have the best ideas. That's a principle in business. It all depends how deeply and how carefully we listen. Cindy listens beautifully. Third takeaway, there was a lot to learn in this one about mentors. Cindy said, as she thinks about her mentors, there are two types. The first are the coaches and the supporters, and they are very important. The people who always have your back, who always support you, who know you well. The second category are the challengers, those who push you, make you uncomfortable. Maybe not your closest friends, but it's important for your growth and development to have two kinds of mentors, challengers and coaches. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.